over. Luke chapter 15, we began several weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, studying this parable, uh, looking sort of phrase by phrase, verse by verse in some ways. Uh, my favorite parable in Scripture, the prodigal son. We come to the next portion of this parable. Last time we uh, considered how really a man who is living outside of Christ, living in sin, cannot think properly. It's impossible. Someone who is living in sin outside of Christ does not have a sound mind. And that's why we have such ridiculous ideas and ideologies in the world today because people's minds are twisted and warped as a result of living outside of Christ. I remind you that from the very beginning, sin was an abnormality. Sin was not normal. It was never meant to be a part of man's daily function. Therefore, when man chooses to live a life of sin, the consequences and the results of it are devastating. Now, we think today, we have the idea, well, sin is normal simply because, well, from the time we entered this world, we were exposed to sin on top of sin. But in all actuality, God's vision of what the world should be when he created man, sin was an abnormality. That's why our lives are such a wreck. It's interesting when you look at this portion of scripture, uh, I, I understand, I begin to understand a little bit more that Jesus Christ, reading this parable and many other parables, Jesus Christ was the greatest psychologist the world ever knew. And how could he not be? The man, the one who created the mind, does he not know the mind better than any human being could possibly know it? He knows the nature of the mind, the constitution of every mind. He knows how to open doors and unlock doors that have been barred for for many, many years. In this parable, in many ways, you find a world of psychology in it. And it puts every secular psychologist to shame. When we look at this portion of scripture, look at it with me. Luke 15 will begin reading in verse number 11 and read down to verse number 24. And he said, that's Jesus speaking, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. In not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be married. Let's pray together and ask God to help us as we look at his word tonight. Father in heaven, we come now to thy word open before us. But we acknowledge and recognize that unless thy spirit enlighten our understanding, unless thy spirit open our hearts as we have opened thy word, then we shall leave this place the same way we came in. And we ask tonight as we look at thy word and examine the gospel, we pray tonight that souls that are on the fence may be pulled off of the fence. That those who are dead in trespasses and sins may be quickened and made alive. That those who are lost, wandering about in the wilderness of sin, that tonight they would be found and that they would indeed find their way to the Father. We ask of thee, Lord, please use the preaching of thy word. We believe to be thy ordained method of saving souls. We pray that tonight the preaching of the gospel would be used of thee, that thy spirit would be pleased to attend the preaching tonight and cause hearts to be softened and minds to be opened. We give ourselves to thee and ask thy blessing upon this sermon, for we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice one phrase this evening, and we'll spend our time considering it in our text, and it is found there in the 20th verse. He arose and came. He arose and came. Tonight, I want to remind you at the very beginning of this sermon that salvation is by grace alone. I think you know that. No one is saved because of what they have done or accomplished or how good they are. No man partners with God in the work of salvation. Salvation is a work of God's grace. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And here's a man, a young man, who had just discovered that in the far country, away from the Father's house, there was no concept of grace. In the world, in a life of sin, there is no concept of grace. An unconverted man does not know what grace is. The idea of freely giving that which someone does not deserve, is not a concept that resonates with an unconverted soul. It's not a concept that is widely shared amongst a lost world that is a it is functioning off of the, the ideology of the survival of the fittest. Grace is not mentioned in a dog-eat-dog world. It's a foreign concept. 
And this young man discovered in the far country that there is no grace. In fact, the Bible says very interestingly, as he joined himself to a citizen of the country and began to feed pigs, the scripture said that he, he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And the scripture said, no man gave unto him. You know what that is? No grace. There is no grace in the far country. There is no grace outside of Christ, away from God. And it was very hard when this young man came back to the father's house. It was very hard for him to believe that he would be accepted and forgiven freely. Isn't that the case often when, when, a, when a soul is converted? Isn't that the case often when someone is seeking God? They find it very hard to believe that it is free grace. We sometimes, we sometimes want to do something, don't we? We feel like we've got to give, maybe give time or give money or give effort, something in some way to repay, but you can't repay. It's free grace. He had been a stranger to grace for so long that grace just didn't really make sense. Salvation is 100% grace. But that does not mean, hear me now, just because salvation is all of grace does not mean that God imposes His will upon your will. It does not mean that God bypasses your will. It does not mean that God forces Himself that he somehow does violence to the constitution of your mind to twist you into some headlock to get you to come to him. No, I believe on the contrary, that he opens your heart and mind and he opens your will and shine, enlightens your will, a will that is broken and twisted and un, unable to understand and unable to do that which is right. God begins to enlighten that will. He doesn't bypass it. That's a bogus way of thinking that we are some vegetable creatures that we're just sort of hanging out there and God just imposes himself upon us. You don't ever see that in scripture. But what you do find is God working inside of a man, inside of a woman, changing them. On the contrary, we believe that God calls into exercise, you could say, all the different faculties of the mind and of the will. He knows how to open our understanding, doesn't he? He knows how to put within us desires we never had. So he doesn't push aside our will. Not at all. He begins to work in it. It's no less of his grace when he does. A couple of observations in our text. In the work of salvation... There must be a change of mind. There must be. Here's a young man in the far country. He left, he turned his back on all that which was good and gracious and merciful. He turned his back on the father and went to, to live riotously in the world. By the way, that's what all of us have done. Every last one of us were born into a sinful world born with a brokenness that is constantly leaning towards sin. We don't, we don't just have that broken nature, but we also intentionally choose to sin. We turn our back on God. We do our best to forget about God. 
We do our best to push them out of our thinking and out of our understanding so that we can do what we want to do. But if we're ever to be saved, then that mindset has to change. That's what repentance is. Repentance is literally a change of mind. And this man had his mind changed. He went from thinking that the world had a lot to offer to recognizing the world has nothing to offer and his father has everything that he needs. Now, if you remember previously, this man wanted to be independent. Isn't that the heart cry of every human being? This man wanted to do his own thing. He assumed that for him, paradise would be to exercise his own will. Isn't that, that's just the way we think. How foolish are we? How silly are we? Let me have my own will. Let me have my own way. Let me live my own life and then I'll be happy. No, then you'll be miserable. Just look at the testimony in the history of humanity and you'll see, then you will be utterly miserable. We've all felt this way. We've all wanted to be free to do what we want to do, whatever we please. But the interesting thing here in our story is that Jesus records for us that here is a young man who was enabled, he was allowed to test his own philosophy. Now, there are a lot of people who are not able to test the, the philosophy, that kind of philosophy like this man was able to. There are a lot of people who want to do certain things, but they can't because they don't have the means to do it. But here's a young man who was enabled and allowed to do all he ever wanted. And so he goes. He tested his philosophy. He had his own way. He did it his way, as Frank Sinatra once sang. All he ever wanted, and he proved the futility of it all. He proved the utter emptiness of doing it your way. And thousands more tonight can testify that when you are permitted to have your own way and to do it however you want to, that it always leads to destruction. Almost every single day of our life, there comes those, those little niggling thoughts. Almost every day of our life, there comes an impulse from somewhere deep within that begs and pleads us to do what the flesh wants. Almost every day of our life, there's a whisper or a temptation or a pulling or a drawing that suggests that if we give in and do what the flesh wants, then we shall be satisfied. And it is a lie every time. It's a lie. How else does someone end up a drunkard? An alcoholic? How else does somebody end up on the streets addicted to drugs? Because one point in time, that, that little voice inside said, do this, it will be a thrill, it will be a rush, it will be enjoyable. And little by little, that so-called rush and joy and pleasure took over. And that's what this man found. Utter, absolute bankruptcy. Nothing left. When he had spent all. Have you ever been there before? Would you look here? Would you look this way? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been so, so low? You spent everything. You tried everything that the world has to offer. And yet, you've got nothing to show for. That's where he was. And he tried to adapt to the culture that he was living in. And how many times do people born into this world, we, we look at it today all over the place, all, all of humanity is trying to constantly adjust and adapt to the ever-changing 
thoughts and ideas of society, and it's enough to drive anyone mental. With so many constant changes in what is acceptable, not just acceptable, but what is pushed and promoted. And people don't know what to believe and how to believe and how to adjust with an ever-changing society and ideology. And so here's a man trying to adjust, spending and spending and spending. And then when he spent all in the country, I came across a famine. He's trying to adjust, so he joins himself to a, to a citizen, and he becomes a slave, he's adjusting. He looks at the pigs, and he's going lower and lower and lower. By the way, that's exactly what, where life in this world will take you. Lower and lower and lower. And then when he found himself, interestingly enough, when he found himself physically hungry, when he found himself at the lowest point of his existence, he found inside of him, a hunger that he never noticed before. And thus began the change. Thus began the changing of the mind. Occasionally, God brings a famine into the life of a prodigal. Occasionally, God allows everything good to dry up so that you recognize there's a different hunger inside that you never recognized before. There's a deeper thirst in the depths of your soul that money and substance and relationships can never ever satisfy. And that longing, that thirsting and hungering is a hungering for God. And it was at the bottom of it all that this man began to recognize there was a hunger inside that would not die. That was never, never satisfied. An insatiable thirst. And no matter what he had tried, no matter how he spent his, his, his living, no matter how he spent his inheritance, that hunger was still there. And it took him going to the very depths of despair before he recognized that the hunger he was trying to satisfy could not be satisfied with anything from the far country. And that, the scriptures say, is when he came to himself. That's when he became of a different mind. That's when the change of mind began to take place. And he recognized a few things. I believe he recognized this, first of all. He recognized, the scripture says, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Here's what he recognized. He recognized how utterly bankrupt he was and how all-sufficient his father was. That's a good place to start. Maybe tonight you're here and you've never been born again. That simply means that you have never been changed. You've never had life from above. You're not a new creation yet. You're still in your sins. You've never been changed. And if that's the case tonight, the very first step, you could say the very first movement of coming to Christ to salvation is to recognize that you are bankrupt. You're lost. You're in trouble. That's the first step. And not just that, but also to recognize as lost as you are and as utterly bankrupt as you are, he is altogether sufficient. He's altogether sufficient. That led him to a second thought. Well, if I'm in trouble, if I'm bankrupt and my father is altogether wealthy and sufficient, then I need to get right with my father. Do you notice that? I will arise 
and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son, so make me as one of thy hired servants. He recognized he needed to get right with the father. Would you look here tonight? Are you right with the father? Are you right with God tonight? Are you? Is it well with your soul? You might say this evening, how? How can I be right with the Father? Well, he gives us a little bit of an idea. I will arise, I will go to my Father, and I will say unto him, I have sinned. Confession. Confession. True repentance involves confession. True, true repentance involves you acknowledging. And what confession is, is simply agreeing with God about your condition. Not, not arguing with God and not trying to justify yourself. That's what we're good at, isn't it? I meet people, I work with people constantly, not just with our own local church, but with other churches and ministers and workers, especially when you run a camp. And every once in a while you, you, you speak with someone and you try to help somebody to recognize, hold on a moment, that's not quite right. And the most common response when you try to help someone by maybe correcting something that isn't quite, quite right, the most common response is self-justification. I'm the same way. Somebody points out something I've done wrong. Well, hold on just a moment now. The most common response, but you will never be right with God until you confess. Until you acknowledge God, you are right. I am wrong. And one of the most challenging hurdles for an unbeliever to get over, one of the most difficult steps is to acknowledge Actually, I am not good. Nobody likes to look into a mirror and say, I'm not what I should be. Nobody likes to own up. We are content to point the finger at everybody else, aren't we? We're content to say she's the problem. I'll tell you what the problem is. The government's the problem. My neighbor's the problem. My wife, boy, I'm telling you, she's the problem. We're content to point the finger at everybody else. But there'll be no salvation. Until you repent in your own heart and confess. Confess. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Now would you look here for a moment? Just because you realize you're bankrupt, you're a sinner. Just because you realize that he is good. And just because you confess that you've sinned does not mean you're saved. It doesn't. Oh, he knows what he needs to be done. And in his own mind, he's already begun. His mind's begun to change and he's already recognized this life is wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have lived this way. And I need to go back to my father. But as long as he sat in the far country and only thought about it, he was still lost. And tonight you can sit in your seat and think about your need of salvation and acknowledge your sin and even confess it. But until you get up and go to the Father, you will forever be lost. He knew what needed to be done, but he was still in the far country and he was still hungry. And you will always be hungry. Your soul will always be longing until you get up. Is that you tonight? 
Maybe you've had your own way. You've lived your life to some degree or some measure. You've tried it your way and you're hungry, still hungry, still bankrupt. You know what the scriptures say. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know what the scriptures say. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we shall be saved. You know it, but you still haven't yet done it. Now, let me show you something else. An interesting thought. Seeing your bankruptcy is not in and of itself enough. Scripture saying verse 20. After Verse 18 and 19, him thinking of his condition and saying what he intends to do. He set out a carefully orchestrated plan. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to confess before him. I'm going to tell him that I've sinned, that I'm not even worthy to be called his son. I'm going to be his servant. And then the Bible says in verse 20, are you listening? Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. Do you know there'll never be a separation from your sin and the guilt and shame of your sin until you acknowledge it and until you come to Christ? He arose. A changed mind must result in a definite act of the will. Now, some people don't like anyone talking about the will because they get too concerned theologically. We've already seen, we already see clearly that God works in a man's will. Uh, J.C. Ryle, the great bishop of Liverpool once said, look, there's an infinite willingness in God to save man if man was only willing to be saved. The problem isn't with God's willingness. The problem is with man's willingness. And naturally speaking, a man is not willing to be saved. A man doesn't want to be saved. God begins to work in a man so that he recognizes his need of salvation and wants to be saved. God never saves someone against that will. God never saves someone and they said, I don't want to be saved. No. He changes a man. And some of you tonight, I've spoken to some, some tonight want to be saved, but yet they still are seated in the far country. They're still thinking about their bankruptcy. And the very fact that you want to be saved is a good sign. So stop thinking about it and get up. He arose. A changed mind will naturally be followed by a clear and definite act of the will. Definite. Not a maybe. Well, I hope, you know, I'm going to keep coming to the meetings and hope that magically and mystically God will pour some sort of magical gold dust. That's what some people believe. There's some... Some churches, they, they, there's a gold dust sort of floating around and kind of nonsense. No, no, no. There's a clear act of the will. Well, what is it? What was the clear act of the young man's will? He arose and came. Watch this. I love this. He arose and came. What are the next three words? To his father. Do you know what salvation is? It's not going to the father's house. It's not going to the father's table. It's not going to the father's estate or the father's robe or ring or shoes. 
Salvation is coming to the Father himself. Jesus said one time, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Salvation is knowing God. It's about coming to the Father. Have you come to the Father? Now you can believe it intellectually and still never by faith come to Christ. This man, I love this. This man did not stop until he found himself in the arms of the Father. This young man did not stop until he found himself with his father. And I, I have an idea, it doesn't say it, but I have an idea that he could really care less about anything else. He just wanted to be back with his father, to be right with a father. That's true salvation. True salvation is not hoping to get some golden mansion in the sky. True salvation is not hoping to escape the flames of hell. True salvation is just wanting to be right with God. A desire for God the Father. We must get to God. You must get to the Father. You must arise and come somehow, some way, and get to the Father. You must push through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment. But maybe tonight you say, how? Many of you know I've spent a lot of time or many trips in the Netherlands, and this is one of the most common questions I, I hear in the Netherlands. How can I come? The Bible says clearly, Jesus himself clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. How do you and I, how do we come to the Father? We come through Jesus Christ. He is the way, he's the, he's the pathway, the only way. It'd be a narrow way, but he's the way. Modern, modern day philosophy and religion hate that. They say it's bigoted and narrow-minded, but it's truth. It's truth. The same people ought to say that two plus two equals four is bigoted and narrow-minded. It's truth. It need not be changed because it is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to get right with God, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. True faith is always followed by an act of the will, not the intellect. Not the intellect. The Bible say, Believest thou in God, thou doest well, for even the devils believe and tremble. It isn't enough to have it in your mind. But there's got to be something inside that follows a changed mind. In fact, the evidence of a changed mind, the evidence of repentance is that step of going by faith to the Savior. It's interesting. I was reading T.T. Shields. He was a minister in Toronto, uh, Canada, many, many years ago during the days of Spurgeon. And they called him the, the Canadian Spurgeon. And T.T. Shields said something interesting. He said, the difficulties of faith have never been difficulties of the intellect. The difficulties of faith have always been a difficulty of the will. It's never about, oh, I just don't know, I don't understand. No, no, no. It's, I see it clearly. It's just whether or not I want it to follow. I hear it clearly. I see the way put before me very clearly. We see it over and over again in the scriptures, Old Testament and New. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If the Lord be God, then follow him. 
I put before you today life and death. Choose life. It's very simple and very clear before us. It's never a matter of the a problem. Faith is never a problem with the intellect. It's a problem of the will. When God begins to work in a man or a woman or a child, when God begins to work in a person, and that will begins to change. My mother-in-law recently had an operation. Many of you know that. She was very concerned about whether or not she should have the operation. They discovered and detected cancer in her intestines, and she was very concerned. But after much research and meeting with the surgeon and talking with the surgeon and the surgeon explaining things, she committed herself to God and into the safe hands she believed of the doctor. Now, would you look this way? She could have stayed home and said, you know what? I believe the doctor could do that operation because he's done many of them before and he's been successful at them. I believe he can do it. But yet I, I, I don't want to go to the hospital. And you would say to her, well, why don't you go to the hospital? You, you are, you're going to be in trouble. If you don't do something about this cancer, it will kill you. And as long as she says, well, I believe he can do it. I believe he's a good surgeon. I have no reason to doubt him. But the truth is, if she does not get up and go to the hospital and get the operation, she proves she does not believe. A change of mind is evidenced by that act of the will. And some of you tonight sit in your chair and you say, I believe that God can save and I believe that Jesus died for sinners and I believe he rose again on the third day. But you don't believe it's for you. And therefore, you don't believe at all. You don't believe at all. If I were to come to your house tonight at one o'clock in the morning and I were to say your house is on fire, banging on your window and you were to lift, lift the window, look out at me and say, what's the problem? Your house is on fire. You might look around and say, well, I don't see any fire. I'm, I can see it. Your house is on fire. Now you, how long are you going to argue with me? How long will you argue with a man who comes at one o'clock in the morning and tells you that your house is on fire? Most normal people will get out of their house and look for themselves. But it's a whole lot better to get out. And tonight I'm telling you, your house isn't on fire, but your soul is. And if something doesn't happen, if you don't get out of, out of Egypt, if you don't get out of your sinful living, you will perish. And you can nod your head at me and say, okay, I don't really, I don't see it myself. I see it. The word of God sees it. And it ought to concern you enough to look to at least stop and consider. He arose and came to his father. How do we come to the father but through Christ? What does it mean to come to Christ? What does it mean to arise and come to him? It simply means you cease from your own efforts and trust the promises and word of God. You stop trying to work your way to God. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop trying to work your way to God. Come to me, Jesus said. Those who labor trying to get to God and are heavy laden, burdened with sin. Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Oh, what is it to come? It is to believe. This morning we looked at the shield of faith. We considered the shield of faith and what a visual demonstration Paul gave us of what faith is. Simply hiding behind a shield, that's faith. Hiding behind God, trusting, resting in God, in his word. My salvation 
is not secure because of what I do. My salvation is secure because of what he said and what he's done. And he told me that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when God directed my eyes and my mind to that verse, I recognized that was for me. And I believed. Tonight, if you hear his word and you see his word, then that's what it means to come. You believe it. By faith, you rest upon the promises of God. You rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to come. That's what it is to come. This young man recognized all that he needed was with his father. Do you recognize tonight that all that you need is with your father in heaven and you come to him through Jesus Christ? God cannot lie. He cannot lie. He's given us his word. The scriptures say, let God be true and every man a liar. And if God said it, I believe it. What about you tonight? You see, a changed mind, followed by that act of will, a following of the promises and the invitations of God, a by faith, a following of that brings you to Christ Jesus, our Savior. I wonder tonight, have you come? Have you acknowledged your sin, confessed your sin, repented of it, and by faith come to the Father. If not, then would you tonight? Would you come tonight? It's not an invitation to come to me. You can come to me 365 days a year and lead the same way. I cannot change you, but I know who can. And tonight he bids you come. Would to God this evening that you would like this young man come to yourself. Have a changed mind. and Not just recognize the problem and not just talk about what you need to do. But get up by faith and come to the Savior. That's one thing I love about this man. It was more than good intentions. He didn't just talk about it. He got up and went home. And when he got home, in fact, before he could ever get home, I love this. The Bible says, and when he was yet a great way off. You see that? Verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Tonight, if you will acknowledge your sin and by faith get up and take that step towards God through Christ Jesus, he will meet you there with arms wide open. In fact, you'll find that when you get there, he was already there. He was already after you long before you ever thought of coming to him. It's marvelous. We love him because he first loved us. We'll be able to look later on and see that God was working. God allowed us to be bankrupt in the far country so that we would come to ourselves. We recognize the hand of God. Oftentimes in the middle of it all, you don't see it. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But tonight you just worry about coming by faith. Christ. Would you bow your head with me, please? Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge this evening that we are utterly lost without Christ, bankrupt. I praise thee for the day that it pleased you to reveal to me my utter bankruptcy my utter depravity and sinfulness.
I give thanks, Lord, for the days that we reach rock bottom and come to ourselves. The days that our minds are changed. The days when we begin to recognize that we caused this problem ourselves. And that the only solution is at home with thee. I pray tonight, though, that there would be more than just good intentions in this tent. I pray, Father, this evening there would be more than people recognizing what they need. And also more than people recognizing what they need to do. But instead, I pray that by thy grace, lost, unconverted sinners will be picked up off of the ground and onto their feet. And would they, by faith, begin to run to thee? Father, we thank thee for the promise that if we would draw nigh to thee, thou wilt draw nigh unto us. We pray this evening there might be one or many who are met with the welcome open arms of our Heavenly Father. Bring one or many home tonight to the Father, to thee. I pray for the believer, the Christian who's wandering a bit, wandering in the far country, wandering away from home. Father, would it please thee to call their, call their name a little louder tonight and call them back to thyself before they drift any further before they wander away anymore. Bring them home, Lord. Don't let us wander too far from Thee. Remind us of all the blessings and riches that are in Christ Jesus and bring us back to Thyself. Bless, we pray. We need Thee. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for His sake.